one of the things I think is so important for business owners to realize is that joy is not an outcome. Joy is a way of being. It's something in you you can access at any moment of the day. You can create it. You can expand it. You can. I, I think our joy tanks can be expanded to limitless capacity. And a lot of what we do is chase these external outcomes. We chase happiness. We chase worthiness, good enoughness, whatever you want to call it. And all of that puts us in this clenching, needy space. I will feel yes. when when I achieve X, then I will feel good. And you can feel good right now in the process. And I can tell you those outcomes feel sweet when you have them, but they're it's actually pretty sweet to not have to care about the outcome. Welcome to Too Legitimate to Quit, instantly actionable small business strategies with a pop culture spin. I am your host, Annie P. Ruggles, and my guest today is the utterly magnificent Dr. Aaron M. Baker. Dr. Aaron Baker is a self-leadership coach, business strategist, social psychologist, internal family systems practitioner, and the author of Joyful AF, The Essential Business Strategy We're Afraid to Put First. They are on a mission to help heart-centered entrepreneurs and small business owners create prosperous, difference-making, joyful AF businesses and live lives that light them up. Aaron holds a PhD in psychology from the University of Texas at Austin and was formerly in leadership roles at Facebook and Microsoft. They are known for their infectious energy, unapologetic authenticity, incisive wit, and unflinching commitment to their clients' joy. Y'all, sometimes you meet someone and you just know. And the second I saw this glorious brain put out this glorious book, I knew they had to be here. Dr. Aaron M. Baker, I am so freaking delighted to share you with my audience. What the heck do small business owners need to focus on this week? Um, They need to fucking focus on joy. Having a joyful AF business life existence. That is what they need to focus on. All right. Let's handle some objection handling on joy right oh, off the I bat. I love that. Let's mm-hmm. do it. Let's just get into it. Because yep. for me, Muppet maniac over here, human care bear in the flesh, I'm like, yeah, joy. I want to focus on that. But I also know. That in my Eeyore phases or when I'm down in a slump or when money's really tight, my bitchy side of my brain would say things to me like, joy is a soft skill at best. Joy is fluffy. Joy is not profitable. So what do you say to my bitchy wrong self? Misery is not profitable either. Ah! The first thing I'm going to tell you, it's not profitable. It's not sustainable. And I will be the first one to say, if you're, you know, down on cash and you really need to feed your family, do whatever it takes to feed your family. Joy is definitely not something that, you know, takes over when you don't have your basic needs met. But for a lot of us business owners, we tell ourselves our basic needs aren't met, but they are. And so we do all of the things to follow the how good business owners operate, what we should be doing looking at the gurus out there, this salesperson says this, and this marketing person says this, and this coach says this, and they follow all these formulas and blueprints and they just feel miserable. Yeah. And they want to quit because joy, the thing they started their business for, and I will argue that even if you have other words, it's joy. The thing they started their business for is the first thing that goes And the longer it goes, the harder it is to convince yourself that joy can actually be a profitable strategy. Right. It can turn the whole car around. It can turn the Titanic around. Right. Reinfusing joy can be huge because, oh my gosh, I can't even count all the times that I've lost the love and feeling for my business. And I love my business. 
Yep. I, I can't even count. I mean, it's less now. It is less now that I infuse more joy. Things like this, like the podcast, let me actively bring joy in. And I'm grateful, which mm. is part of the reason why I'm so jazzed to have you here on my joyful little show. However, yeah. you're right. Like when I'm stressed, when my back's to the wall, I don't remember that I did this because I had a big, fun, shiny dream attached to it. It all just feels like a to-do list and a burden. And it wasn't born that way. Well, and here's the thing I will say, and I, I'm an expert at joy, but I'm also an expert at losing the joy. So I'm yeah. with you right there. Um, and I actually, uh, I think back to the 1980s Wendy's commercial, uh, the, <laughs> where's the beef commercial, right? Where like the, the old lady is standing over where's the like, the beef? right? And every time I lose the joy, I'm like, where's the joy? And I'm an expert at losing it. And the thing that I keep coming back to, though, is if I'm going to there's there's if there's a choice between being miserable but successful or following joy but failing, I'm going to follow joy. Yeah. And it turns or it turns out and I will say I'm a testament to this. And a lot of people I've worked with are a testament to this. Once you start following your joy and we can talk about what joy really is. Once you follow your joy, that's when success comes. Yeah. Because right? people can't look away. Well, they can't look away. And for me, joy is really this deep connection. So I have this whole thing around the, the I like to cook. And so Samin Nosrat's salt, fat, acid, heat's one of my favorite Yum. cooking references, right? Yes. So I've come up with what I think are the salt, fat, acid, and heat of joy. So <gasps> connection, c- connection to self, but also connection to others, bigger purpose. That's the salt because it's got to be kind of in everything. Yeah. Curiosity. Yeah. Curiosity will just fight all kinds of fears. Um, and it's playful, yes. right? Creativity. And the one that gets people sometimes, but it's courage. Cause we actually, to be joyful, need to be stretching ourselves. Yes. And right? claiming it, right? Because a lot of people have also been conditioned not to express their joy or not to fully even feel their joy because they think that joy is selfish, joy is bragging, joy is fluffy, life is pain. You know, I'm supposed to be struggling. I'm a starving artist. Whatever it is, we all have these reasons. Well, that's, and that's what we've been taught to be heartaholics, right? And the systemic nature, like, you know, white supremacy, capitalism, you know, patriarchy, all these isms have taught us to be linear and to follow rules and to work hard. And the thing is, so we got these four ingredients of joy, but if you boil it all down, it's really about how do you connect to who you are yeah, and what lights you up and what are your unique strengths that you bring to the table and how do you operate from a place of how your mind works, how your body works. So joy is really about how do you find this deepest sense of you and operate from that place and that's when success comes. When you do yes. you, boo. <laughs> right? Yes. Right. Yes. And that's when you feel joy, right? So the more I seek joy, the more I feel me. And the more me I feel, the more joy I feel. So when I'm talking about joy, mm-hmm. I'm not talking, I mean, yes, sunshine, rainbows, great. But I also think there's joy in the messiness of being in our humanity. And I think yes. there's joy in feeling all of the feelings of business, or of business, you know, grief, sorrow, pain. I think we need all those things. So a lot of people in objection to, to joyful AF business is, well, that's toxic positivity. You can't just be happy-go-lucky all the time. And I'm like, no, I don't want you to be. No. You're right. That is toxic positivity. Right. There is joy in the messiness. There's joy in the troughs in business. There's, mm-hmm. there's joy in showing up and learning that, oh, I'm scared to do this thing. And now I'm going to, you know, push myself through it. Yes. There's joy in the outcome of struggle. There's joy in proving yourself right. There's joy in proving yourself wrong. And there's joy in the struggle, even if you don't know it at the time. Because when you look back, the most boring thing you can do is set a goal and easily get there. Nobody's satisfied if they set a goal and easily get there, right? No. So you can learn to find joy in the struggle knowing that at some point you are going to be so glad that this was hard. (laughs) This is so weird that we're talking about this right now because right before this call, like 
literally up into the point where I saw your brilliant face. I was texting with one of my dearest lifelong friends, incredible theater director, Lavina Jadwani, and she is currently adapting a production of Jane Austen's Persuasion, which is my favorite Mm. Jane Austen. And she told me that she's struggling to end it. And I said, well, how do you want the audience to feel? And she said, satisfied. And I said, the reason why I find the ending of Persuasion satisfying when it is done well is because we have watched the main character sit in stuckness the entire time. And then in one motion with one trigger to try to change her whole life, acts on it. And she literally sprints in a corset through town, decorum be damned, and tells dude that she's going to make this decision. And then in my favorite filmed version, he literally, she goes to kiss him and he stands up straighter like, all right, if you're doing this, I need to see that you're doing this. And it's so satisfying because we see the work. Yes. To your point, if we're not seeing our own progress, if we're not solving our own problem, if we're not getting through the struggle, right? If we're not working for the joy, Mm -hmm. then the joy is going to feel really one note. I love that we get to watch her run her ass off only to have him stand up straighter. I'm like, good. Don't kiss her. Damn. Yeah. Make her wait a week. (laughs) Right. But at the same point, that satisfaction is because that's effort born. Right. And what you're saying here is that the outcome didn't determine the joy. Yes. And something that happens to business owners a lot. And so I make a distinction between joy and happiness. They're not the same thing. Um, you know, we use a lot of interchangeable positive emotion words, but happiness is this fleeting sensation. And it's usually something that external circumstances has caused in us. Right. Joy is something internal. And what happens in our businesses is that we're often chasing that happiness of the outcome, right? We're going to reach that, that revenue target, or we're going to fill our, if our coaches, you know, client rosters or whatever it is. So we're chasing happiness. And while we're chasing happiness, we don't have joy. So we're chasing happiness at the expense of our joy. And so one of the things I think is so important for business owners to realize is that joy is not an outcome. Joy is a way of being. It's something in you, you can access at any moment of the day, you can create it, you can expand it, you can, I I think our joy tanks can be expanded to limitless capacity. And a lot of what we do is chase these external outcomes. We chase happiness, we chase worthiness, good enoughness, whatever you want to call it. And all of that puts us in this clenching, needy space. I will feel when, when I achieve X, then I will feel good. And you can feel good right now in the process. And I can tell you those outcomes feel sweet when you have them, but they're, it's actually pretty sweet to not have to care about the outcome. Yeah. Oh, man. Let's talk about uh, poet slash PhD up in here, the droppers <laughs> of gems, chasing happiness at the expense of joy. Yeah. <sighs> My official response to that is, ow, why did you punch me? How did you punch me? In the soul, and also my my using my words like a big girl, my official response is, Ugh! in that, shit, if that's not entrepreneurship for a lot of people, yes. right? Yes. We're chasing abundance, but we're really chasing money, not what I need, not sustenance, right? Yes. We're chasing happiness but we're doing it at the expense of joy, right? We're all trying to go through the motions and being all little stress beastie. And I know that in the times in my life, I am addicted to stress. I convince myself fully that the higher I am on the stress scale, the faster I'm moving in my business. And that couldn't be further from the truth Mm -hmm. because I just spin my wheels and make myself bonkers and do subpar work when I'm a stress beast. It's actually the exact opposite. But somebody along the way said, stop having so much fun. Yes. Get back to work. Oh, that is our society. I have, I have an image of my head and of of this you know, dad-like figure with a mustache and a suit and wagging his finger and be like, you need to take things more seriously. Yes. You know, and if you don't, you're going to end up working some dead-end job, minimum wage for the rest of your life. And I mean, I have a story. My dad said something very similar to me in high school. And it's these messages, whether they're from an actual, you know, parental figure, Mm -hmm. person in your life, or just the societal message steep into us. And so a lot of us 
believe that success can only happen if we're stressed. And what happens is those of us who are really brilliant, which is most people, I think most people are brilliant. What happens is we create success through that miserable stress thing. And so our brains associate, if I am stressed, then I create success. Mm -hmm. We don't have that same association with our joy, right? And it's this logical fallacy that we say, well, if no stress, then no success. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. That is so fucked. Right. And so, of course, we don't pursue our joy. It's not a word in our vocabulary, especially in business. Because well, we've made it. We've made it synonymous in our own minds with resistance or friction, which is hilarious because it's joy. Yeah. We think joy is going to actively slow us down. Or sabotage, right? So right. we were talking before this, you know, I have a, a love for, you know, 90s boy bands and other bands and Beastie Boys. Listen, all y'all, it's a sabotage is a big mm -hmm. one. And this really came out of, I was having a conversation with a friend who has a full-time job. She's a podcaster. She's a podcast coach. She also plays for the Canadian cricket team. Hell yes. Right. Super ambitious. And I, she loves this phrase, chase excellence and success will chase you. Ooh. And so I was talking with her one night and I said, what about chase joy and success will chase you? Yeah. And at first she went, Ooh. And then I saw her whole body react. And I said, what's going on, Mark? And she said, I immediately went to, I am on my couch, binging Netflix, eating McDonald's. Yeah. So joy. And then she says, I'm a lazy motherfucker is the word she came out of her we mouth. Went right to our toxic self-soothing stuff that we know right. we shouldn't do. That's what we think of with joy. Not I'm going to go do have this amazing experience. Not I'm going to collaborate with a friend. Not I'm going to write a kick-ass book. We're like, I, I mean, I know it. I'm going to eat Domino's and watch Maury. Right. There's me right there. So and what I actually wanted to say to her, and I think I did, was when's the last time you let yourself do that? Yeah. Right. So what we've also decided is that it's always toxic. You know, there are times, right, when it is definitely a, a something is happening within us that mm -hmm. we're, you know, sitting on the couch and Domino's is coming up and it's worth looking at. Right. But sometimes Love we that just pizza tracker. Right, sometimes we just fucking need rest. Yes. Yes. And in that moment, her joy might have been that she needed rest. I just told you all the things she does, right? I mean, that sounds like a person in need of rest. Right. And then, you know, started asking her about joy. And she's she's really interesting with her podcast. She's always said, if it's not fun, don't do it. And for some reason, joy was a toxic word and fun was not. And I, they're different words. But I thought it was just fascinating that it was such a strong thing for her to you know, denounced joy that she thought she was going to be, you know, sitting on her couch eating Netflix or eating McDonald's and watching Netflix. And that, that was eating Netflix I've at this point. Some, I've eaten some Netflix. I mean, but like to think of, you know, that it was almost like you could see her brain going and then I'm never getting off the couch. And then, you know, I am yeah. doomed to be under a bridge down or a van down by the river and everything is. Yeah. And that's that's what our brains do because we've been so trained away from following our joy. And the reason we're trained about following our joy is because we're, we're afraid to follow who we are. We are not trained mm. to figure out who are we, what lights us up, how do we work best, how does our brain uniquely work. We are raised in a one-size-fits-all education system, uh, you know, and then those of us like me who went through corporate had a corporate indoctrination. And of course, everything has told us that joy is bad. And selfish. Yeah, and at least, yeah, selfish. And it doesn't have a place in business. Like, go have joy outside of business. Well, I asked myself why, when you were telling that story, why I would have a similar reaction to joy versus fun. And for me, in my head, the way that I have all of this weird programming that we're talking about right now, fun is communal and shared and joy is singular. Mm. So if I'm chasing fun then maybe I'm having joy for multiple people that isn't just for me. But where I get hung up, it's like, well, if I'm joyful, why would other people care? Or if I'm joyful, am I not taking people's needs seriously? Or if I'm joyful, am I being neglectful, right? So mm -hmm. I think for me, there's, in addition to like the not profitable or not serious enough, I think there's an objection of selfishness coming up yeah. for me. What the mm -hmm. frick is that? And it's a great question. What the fuck is that, right? So what if you are selfish? Yeah. Right? I am. So 
here's the thing. I'm going to, it's somewhat controversial to some people. I believe business is inherently selfish. Agree. And the, the reason I think of it that way is if I'm not happy, if I'm not doing the things that light me up, if I'm not making my schedule and my life work for me, am I really serving the other person? You know, I work with a lot of one-on-one clients or in groups. Am I really serving the people on the other side of me if I'm not yeah. completely full mm-hmm. myself? And so, yes, I have to be selfish. Right. And what if we rethought what selfishness is? I don't think selfish always means being awful to other people, which is what we've, no. we've got in our heads. Right. I think the more you serve yourself, the more you serve others. So it's actually inherently altruistic <laughs> and pro-social to take care of yourself. Pro-social, but- right? There is pro-social element to you showing up in joy, especially if you have ever been told by society that your place is in the back of the line. Yes then you showing up and living joyfully is an act of peaceful protest. I say it's an act of resistance all the time. And yes, this is why, I mean, I share a couple of marginal, share. I have a couple of marginalized identities. I am married to a woman. I am a non-binary person and my joy is a threat to other people. Right. Yeah. And my joy is a threat in a very obvious way because people look at me and they can say, oh, that's, you know, a non-hetero person. They can maybe guess that there might be some gender stuff. But the truth is anyone's joy is a threat, right? Mm -hmm. What happens if the entire world follows joy? Well, we don't have the ability to wrangle people in anymore, right? Right. What does the corporate structure do if everybody's following their joy? That's the fear. Now, I actually believe that there is room for joy, not just in business, but like, you know, one-on-one small business, but like everywhere. I actually think if Joy were at the front and center, we would innovate so much more. Heck yeah! We'd, I mean, I just think everything we've been taught about sort of, you know, social control <laughs> is wrong. Mm-hmm. And I understand the fears we all have because we've been taught to fear other people and we're taught to fear other people who are super secure and safe and joyful in whatever they're doing. It's a tool Mm -hmm. in that aspect. It galvanizes people because, I mean, you're totally right. If we look at how each of us carries this conditioning about, you know, joy isn't good for other people other than us, or joy is selfish, or joy is low ranking importance or whatever it is. When we look at that in terms of causes, cities, nations, globally, think about all that conditioning on a global scale. Mm -hmm. We all are thinking, what's the word you used before? We're all hardaholics on a global scale. Mm-hmm. We feel like if our country is stressed, our country is succeeding. Yes. Ah! Yes. If our industry is stressed, our industry is succeeding. Yes. Uh, no. Yeah. We've seen with the auto industry, if your industry is stressed, your industry ain't doing so hot. Well, and I, I used to work at Facebook. I can tell you every single person I ever worked with was stressed and there was false urgency at times. There was real urgency sometimes, but there was a there were a couple people who really thrived on everything being on fire all the time. Oh God. And look at what we're looking at at Facebook right now, right? Facebook now owning yeah. WhatsApp, Instagram, you know, there's a whole lot of problems with social media. And I personally mm-hmm. believe it was mostly because of the way the internal structure of the company was created. Around very, you know, six month goals and moving as fast as you could possibly move towards them. And that doesn't do anybody any favors. But that right there is Zucky chasing happiness and forgoing joy. Mm -hmm. That's exactly it. We're Mm -hmm. like, Facebook's going to be the best. Mm -hmm. We're going to be able to look at some boobs and the faces attached to them and rank those boobs. Mm -hmm. And have this site for college folks and we're going to grow rapidly and we're going to change the whole internet. And then it happened. And then he was like, okay, cool. Now we're going to sway elections. And then it happened. And then he was like, cool. Now we're going to make millions and billions of dollars. And then it happened. And it's like everyone that has ever worked at Facebook is miserable. Yeah. I mean. I've never, ever met a Facebook former employee that walked out of there and was like, no problem at all. purely positive experience. Gosh, what a great team. Like everyone that left was like, I used to work for Facebook. May I please lay down? Yeah. uh, yeah. And, you know, we're recording this in September and I just passed my five-year anniversary of leaving Facebook. I looked older five five years ago than I do now. 
I call that the Zucky effect. Yeah, I, I, you know. I feel that way when my ads stop running for no reason. I suddenly wake up and look like a golden girl. How did that How happen? How did that happen? I don't know. And it's the Zucky effect. <laughs> Zucky effect. Right? But, oh my God. Yeah. Ugh. Well, Facebook definitely uh, gets in between me and Joy. But I also see how people looking at like, well, if I'm str- if I'm showing up on Facebook, this is such a good metaphor. If yeah. I'm showing up on Facebook really aggressively all the time and I'm putting all my best content out there all the time, then the platform is going to rise to meet me and the algorithm is going to find me. Well, yeah, but then even if they do find you, if they get on a discovery call and you're so maxed out because you've been doing nothing but batching your social posts, are you going to woo that person very well? No. No. Whereas post one joyful thing sporadically, the algorithm won't pick it up, but the one person who sees it might get affected by it and might call you. Absolutely. I And I will say... One of my most joyless and joyful relationships has been social media because I mm-hmm. a work there, but it's so easy to get locked into being a content creator. And many of us who are creating content on Facebook, we have a thing we do. Like I coach, right? Yeah. Other people make jewelry or whatever. And then they somehow turn into a full-time marketer. Yep. And that's not the thing that brought them joy. No. And they're they're again, this is a place where everybody has a blueprint or a rule or something to follow. And joy is infectious, right? And so I've spent I took 3 years of just trying to figure out how to find joy on social. I'm now mostly on Instagram mm-hmm. and I don't show up that often. My joy is in sharing stories. I share a lot of other people's content because I like to connect other people to good stuff. Yeah. Right now I've been marketing my new book. So I'm showing up every day and I'm like, yeah, I can't wait to not have to show up every day. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, all right, two more hours till this launch is done. Here we go. I mean, it's, it's fine, but I'm also, you know, I ask myself, do I, every time I post something, do I feel joy in this post? Because I don't No. they won't out there either. There's plenty of blah marketing out there. Yeah. Meh. We've all we're all drowning in enough access marketing. If if you're not going to have joy in it, and that's why I'm proud of myself because I would say everything I put out socially has an element of joy in it, largely because I'm repurposing my joyful content. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. I didn't think of it that way at the time because I wasn't using joy as a filter, which I'm so glad you introduced to me. Oh, thank you so much. Yay. Um, but if I looked at it again with fresh eyes, the the pieces I chose to repurpose were things that I felt joy about putting out. Yeah. Not that all the content was always joyful in topic. But I felt joy. Doesn't have to be putting it out in the world. I felt joy being the one to say it. I felt joy letting it be discovered. Mm-hmm. I felt joy having something automated, not having to worry about it. I felt joy, right? And so, yeah, my most joyful posts are the ones that get circulated the most, and and not surprisingly, yeah. they're the ones that I picked based on metrics. I I picked it based on how many likes and saves they got. Shocker, shocker. To your exact point, they're the most joyful. Taste joy. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say for all the entrepreneurs out there, Mm -hmm. social media is not necessary. It is not a necessary way to build a business. I am an example of that. I don't think I've ever gotten a client directly from social media. I have mostly a word of mouth and referral business. Yes, some people who knew me in previous lives saw my content on on social media, but and I know a lot of people. You can do podcasts, you can do, mm-hmm. you know, blogs, you can do YouTube. Like there are so many ways to build a business or grow a business, and I think that's the huge part of my message around joy is like there are billions of people on this planet and each one of us has our own unique way of doing things. It's mm-hmm. look at what the options are out there. See if any bring joy. And if there aren't, go create one. Right. It's like Marie Kondo. If your entire closet doesn't spark joy, you might need some new clothes. Right. And and know that there will be gurus that come out there and say, I've seen if you're not, you don't have a podcast, then what are you doing right now? Or don't start a podcast. There's, there's more podcasts than there are listeners. And same thing with social media. I think 
any strategy can work if you're following your joy. Mm -hmm. And so when I say I talk about joy being your primary strategy, I'm not saying throw strategy out the window. I'm just saying find joy at the, put joy at the front and center of every strategy you have. And if you can't find joy in it, try something else. Oh my gosh. You're just blowing my mind so delightfully. Like, I'm so happy. Some of these episodes are rough where like I need to hear things and and my guest is delivering it very beautifully and lighthearted to me. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to send emails. But it's a lot easier for me when you're like, you need to follow the joy. I'm like, you're right, Dr. Aaron. I do need to follow the joy. I have no resistance on following my joy. Well, and if there's something you, you have to do, because there are things we have to do. We have to pay our taxes. I, I paid my taxes for right. September. So then the question becomes, how can I make this joyful? Right. 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 If I have to send emails, which we can argue yes or no, but if let's say you do, how do I make this the most joyful process possible? Yes. And the answer could end up being you know what? I can't make it joyful, but I have to do it. Who, who do I outsource this to? Yeah. Right. That could, that can be an answer if you have the resources to outsource, but there's so many different ways to think about what would be the fun, playful, joyful way to do this. Nobody has to know, but you. I think an eight out of 10 solution for both of us is boy bands and pop music. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, you don't like your emails, find a good playlist, turn on some nineties radio crank it out. Have a great time. Yes. And if you don't like your emails, what is it about the emails you don't like? How do you make them joyful? Right? So I have yep. absolutely no problem titling the, the, an email with a boy band title. No. My email this week was, are you writing like you're running out of time? And that was a Hamilton reference. Uh, <laughs> yes, it sure was. I Y'all, Aaron and I were talking before in the pre-chat and I was telling them, I was like, uh, were you born for this show? Because <laughs> certainly seems like it. And then this is what they did. I show you not. Hold up book shows pop culture title. And I was like, yep. Yes. Mm -hmm. Correct. That yep. is correct. Right. But I, oh, I think, I think that that is just. So major because we can bring joy to things or we can bring rest to things yes. and then be joyful in that rest, right? So for me, I just did this too. Joy has to happen through rest. Yeah. You have to have rest for joy. Ah! Rest makes the space for joy. The problem about rest, and I, I did write about this in my book, is that rest feels like shit. <laughs> and that's because... First of all, our nervous systems are reacting to all these messages, right? Be hardaholic, hustle, hustle, hustle. So our nervous systems are like, what the fuck are you doing? Every So our whole body is just like, you know, activated. Then on top of that, when you're resting, you start to feel the feelings that you've been stuffing down. Yep. You start to feel the body aches that you've been stuffing down. Yep. So all of a sudden, everything feels just like crap. Like, yeah. One of my colleagues slash mentors, Simone Sol, calls it an active detox. Yeah. And so we don't rest because it feels so shitty. And then, <laughs> but we don't have any space for joy when <laughs> we don't rest. This just happened. Like real world example. I went to a wedding like last weekend or the weekend before, and I am a very short person. And so when I hit like... <laughs> pre-puberty, I was like, heels are stupid. Even if I wear them, everyone's taller than me still. So like, what's the point? And so I just stopped wearing them, but it was a wedding and it was a fancy wedding. So I was like, I'm going to put some heels on, forgetting that I also hadn't done any of this because of a pandemic. Uh, so I went to this wedding, I danced my little ass off. And then I was like, I got to sit down. My feet hurt. The moment you take off shoes is the most painful rest. Mm -hmm. That has ever been because all the blood rushes back to your feet. And you think in that moment, mm -hmm. I should have stayed dancing. I should have stayed standing up. This rest is freaking painful. And yet, mm -hmm. not until you and your infinite wisdom did I think about the fact that rest is painful in non-physical ways as well. Mm -hmm. I always knew it when it came to, to, you know, theater, what would always happen when I would be in shows is I would tell myself, can't get sick, mm. got to power through, got eight shows to do. And then the show would close and the next day I'd be in the hospital, like so sick. 
I would get every disease simultaneously. Mm-hmm. I would, mm-hmm. you know, get mono. It would just be insane mm-hmm. because my body was finally like, ah, rest. Now you can feel all the stress. Mm-hmm. But even then, it didn't occur to me that that's why so sometimes, even when my body is aching for rest, my brain rebels against it. You're freaking genius. Y'all, this is how Aaron became a doctor. Okay. I mean, maybe. I mean, and I think, you know, almost anyone can relate to coming home from, you know, college or something. And like, that's the time you get sick and that, yeah, it's that, it's that rest. And it is an emotional thing that's going on on top of a physical thing. And it's, you know, I forgot to mention, you've got the nervous system, you've got the emotions, you've got the body sensations. You've also got, uh, you know, when we're stressed, we run on cortisol. Yeah. And so we're also experiencing shifts in just the, the hormonal imbalances in our bodies. And sometimes it takes a lot longer to detox than we are comfortable resting. I just am so proud to be the podcast where the phrase rest feels like shit can be said. Poopy so, shit. Thank Actually, you. To reference another pop culture, Alice from the L Word, and I think it was the second season, takes a drink of coffee and says, this yeah. coffee tastes, tastes like, like poopy, poopy shit. shit. Yep. And that is that is my direct line on rest. Rest feels like poopy shit. Oh, well, and talk about someone that needed rest at all times, Alice. Mm-hmm. On all burners, full crazy. Alice. Mm -hmm. We'll come back. We'll have a panel. We'll do an L word panel. Panel, I feel like there are some people that are going to want in on an L word panel episode of TLTQ, but we are not (laughs) talking about the L word today. We're talking about the new L word, which is the old L word, which is the historically accurate, correct amount that maybe something in having women bodied people play baseball might have some queer folk in it. That's right. I'm talking about A League of Their Own. Now, I'm going to be talking about the movie, and Aaron's going to be talking about the series because I haven't seen the series yet. But regardless, Dr. Aaron M. Baker, what does any of this joyfulness, pain, rest-sucking, or uh, the final eventual queerness of softball have to do with any of this? League of Their Own, what's up? There's so, so much. And I will start this off by saying... I saw the movie in theaters when I was eight years old. Uh-huh. I've seen it hundreds of times. Uh-huh. It's, you know, between that and fried green tomatoes, those are my queer <gasps> upbringing. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. I can't believe you just said this. Oh, okay. So those guitars in my background. So that one, that's the gold one that you can see. That's Ruth. And then you can't see it here. I'll turn it. That red one. That's Iggy. Okay. Um, so Iggy Threadgood is my queer root. Um, every single year during pride month, my thing that I do on Facebook to just let people know that it's pride. I don't put up any rainbows. Yep. I don't put up any pictures with me with my exes. I'm married to a man. I don't rock all that business. I just put up a picture of Mary Stuart Masterson and that is my contribution to pride month. So thank you for making my heart so happy. But yes, yes, yes. You're welcome. I will just say Mary Louise Parker was mine, Ruth, and I have visited the set of uh, green tomatoes in Georgia a couple of times. So that's just how obsessed I am. Right. So we have more to talk about, but let's talk about League of Their Own. Let's talk about League of Their Own while I come down off of the high of Iggy Threadgood. Okay. Yep. So when this new series came out, because I had watched the movie hundreds of times, I was thinking, oh God, um, I'm going to watch it, but I, this may ruin things for me. Yep. Let me tell you, I got through the series. I kind of binge watched it. And I turned to my wife and I said, I don't know if I can watch the movie again. <gasps> it was that powerful. I did watch the movie again and made me cry. But the thing about A League of Their Own, the new series, they reimagine it. Mm-hmm. So none of the same characters are there, but they throw a whole lot of Easter eggs to the original Yay! movie. It's super awesome. But it's it's like you said, it's super queer. So there is a queer relationship that's very front and center. There are two uh, people on the team that are definitely gender nonconforming in some way. And uh, Rosie makes an appearance later in the show. Yay! So harkens back to it. They also have um, about half the plot is actually about the fact that, you know, black women couldn't play in the league. Yeah. Which is one of the most powerful moments of the movie was where Dottie throws that ball. Yep. 
So there's only a little bit in the movie, but in this, that half the storyline is about the black experience in the 1940s. Yay! And so what I love about the series in Joy, for one, they show a lot of black joy. Um, and they, you know, they show pe- the pain, but they are deep in the stories. Yeah. I will also spoiler alert there. I won't say where, but there are some actual trans history in it. And they show trans joy and they show queer people having joy, even though it was illegal. Right. Right. And they, they show that, but back to sort of my message around joy, there's a, and I don't think this is su- super spoilery, but there's a character who was taught, she's a pitcher taught by the coach to throw the coach's signature fastball or it's fork ball. Sorry. And then it's not working. Uh, the, the pitcher gets injured and is out for several games and can't seem to get back because all she's doing is throwing the fork ball. Mm-hmm. And at some point, the catcher who's one of the main characters turns to that pitcher and says, don't do dove the coach. Do you, what's your fastball? <laughs> Or what's your spear pitch? And Ooh! suddenly, right, she's back into pure form. And all so there's all this joy around who you are, right? Whether it's an identity like queer or, you know, black mm-hmm. or just doing you as a pitcher, playing, finding your strength, your role on the team, right? Yeah. And obviously just at the core, these women who left home and risked whatever they risked, whether they had a husband at home or husband at war or they were single, the ways that they risked themselves for the joy of their sport, right? The joy of baseball. And then the queer ones, the things they risked for the joy of being who they were and loving who they were loving in the 40s is just inspirational as fuck. So, so inspirational. Yeah, I can't wait because I love the movie to death, but I've been saving it. And then I knew when your form came through and you picked this and you yeah. said specifically series, not movie, I thought, you know what? I'm going to wait Yeah, and I'm going to hear why you love it or hate it. I didn't know. Yay for loving it. Um, And now I'm just like so excited to to dive in. And I think there's something there too about, you know, you talked about that there's queer joy and also that there's black joy. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I get asked about all the time is active allyship. Mm. And I think one thing that I know that I can do better is amplify instances of joy that don't look like me. Mm. I've gotten really big. Like I had a sign on the, the pandemic after the killing of George Floyd on my on my front stoop for the longest time that said amplify black voices. And I, and I really, really stand by that. I think it's incredibly important. I think white silence is violence. I've talked about that on the podcast before, but if I were to make that sign again, it's not up anymore, but if I were to make that sign again, I think I would make it say amplify black joy Mm. because that's much more powerful. Yes. Right. And, and black joy is an act of resistance as we already talked about. So it absolutely is. It is absolutely an act of activism, amplifying others, joy as allyship. Yes. Yes. And in particularly marginalized identities. Yes. It is so important. And, you know, we talked about my book a little bit already. I I had a piece that I didn't end up putting in the book about my trans joy because non-binary is sort of a trans identity. And talking about how trans joy and black joy are not the same thing. And then I left it out because it just didn't really fit into the piece. But I, I recognize that how cool would it be to understand what is black joy and how is that different from queer joy? And how's that different from trans joy? And how's that different from whatever, like joy is different for all of us. Yes. We all experience it differently. We all have our own recipes and like, how cool would it be if we sat and learned about what is joy across identities and across ages and across genders. Yes, because then you know where you fit into that glorious casserole. Yeah, or not, because you you know what? It's okay to have your own fucking flavor of joy. But that's where that curiosity comes in of your four pillars. Like, oh, that's what brings you joy? 
weird, cool. Not me. That's awesome. Good for you. But I'm, I'm over here doing my own joy, right? But but I think that's why that League of, Your own, League of Their Own example is so perfect. It's like, we got to know that not everybody has the same fastball. Yes. And we can't force ourselves into other people's fastball. And we also can't force people into our fastball. Right. Which is why it always sucks when you watch a show or a movie that you really love and the person you're excited to show it to is just not in that into it. And you're like, why are you just not that into it? Because it's not their joy. Right. It's not their joy. That's your joy. That's your fastball. It's absolutely. And what if that's how you run a business? What's my fastball? You know, there's no, there's no formula or blueprint. Um, I will quote another friend of mine, former mentor, his name's Sean Smith. He talked about it's screw blueprints. It's a you print. Right. Right. And, um, I just, I love that. And if that's, that's where joy is, is finding what's your fastball in this business. And even I'll go one step back. Are you even supposed to be a pitcher? What if your genius is being the catcher or if your genius is being the first baseman or a pitching coach or a pitching coach, right? Maybe you're not even on the field. Maybe you're not even on the field. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe your joy is in the bunker. I mean, I probably would be. I'm bossy as hell. Yeah. And I would say that, you know, we get told a lot as to who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to show up. And I'll, I'll share a little bit of my story here. I played basketball most of my life. And at one point I was, um, I grew taller than the rest of my teammates just because of weird shifts and who was on my team. It wasn't actually about my growth, but I ended up being really tall and I moved from being a guard, which is, you know, kind of a short player who runs around, shoots from long range to a center, which is like right next to the basket and supposed to beat everybody up and bully people. <laughs> and I lost the joy of basketball yeah. because I lost the position that was my natural position. And the more I got told I had to play that center position because that's how, because I was tall, the more heartbroken I got. And I ended up leaving basketball, lots of other reasons that I write about in my book, but this is the message a lot of us get, right? Don't do that thing that's natural to you. Yes. I was a natural guard. Go do this thing because I told you because you're tall, like this arbitrary thing, go do that. And that's what we end up doing. And a lot of us who start businesses have been carrying stories like that, even unconsciously from maybe previous careers or parents. And we go do that in our businesses rather than saying, what's my natural position to play in this business? Oh, you did it again. <laughs> you did it again, right? Just because you can Oops, play all positions. I did it again. Oh my God. And then you did it on top of doing it. Bringing a Britney into here, trying to kill me, trying to kill me on my own podcast, trying to kill me with joy. You mm-hmm. are a bestseller, aren't you? Trying to kill me with this joy. <laughs> But, I'm not oh. a killjoy. I'm a killer with joy. <laughs> PhD poet. Put it on the business card. It's got to be there. Oh, I do have man. a rap name named Easy Bake. So just, you know. Do you call half-cooked ideas in your Easy Bake oven? <laughs> oh, my God. That would be amazing. You're like, hold on. It's percolating. My next book is percolating up in the Easy Bake oven. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be quoting that. You know, it's what? joy. It's, it's, joy can't. I think one of the things is like, you can't really fake joy. You can fake happiness, but you can't fake joy. That's another like difference. And so earlier, like last year, we saw this big rise of audio branding because Clubhouse was huge for like a minute. And the reason why people really love that is that you can't really fake your voice in that like... I can have somebody schedule my tweets for me or tweet for me. But if I'm doing a clubhouse room and I'm up on stage, it's actually me. Mm-hmm. And and you couldn't fake it. And so people really love that because they're like, you get to know somebody immediately, which is part of the reason why I love podcasting and the gift and art of interviewing is because I get to know people immediately because we're having a freaking conversation. Yep. Imagine that, right? But I think what's so interesting about that is that the whole time, I thought it was your voice that couldn't be faked. And instead, I think it's the joy of sharing that couldn't be faked, right? And so if you're listening to a podcast, you're hearing 
and feeling the joy. Even if it's a true crime podcast, you're not feeling joyful no. that the person got murdered, but you feel joyful at the expert execution and delivery of that story. Absolutely. And, and how you found and it. And the energy behind whoever's telling and narrating that story, right? So I want to tell you, it's not a super secret, but it's a <gasps> somewhat secret to your listeners on, on this book I wrote. So I spent two years writing Joyful AF. Mm-hmm. And I kept losing the joy over and over and over again. And the secret I found was I used to host podcasts. I had to put them on pause because I had a book to write. And I realized that I was most joyful when I was podcasting, when I was speaking into a microphone, whether it was a solo episode or conversations. Me too. I recorded the entire first draft of Joyful AF into Otter AI, which is a, for listeners who are not familiar, is a speech to text <laughs> because I wanted people to feel the joy of my words, even if they were going to come out in written form. And the only way I could do that was speaking my book into Otter AI and pretending I was having conversations. And I actually don't have chapters in my book. They're called conversations. What are you, a genius? <laughs> no. so freaking brilliant i like want to go cry and then do the exact same thing like damn but you're right because it's that transfer of joy for you that's the best way for you to communicate and share the joy and i could not figure out why i kept losing the joy and it's because every time i'd open microsoft word i'd put on my little phd hat and i would automatically go into bland dr baker And I went, no, this is not how I show up. I wanted to show up how I talk. And I've had so much feedback in the last uh, little bit here around how much people are like, I I hear your voice in my head as I'm reading this. Ah, isn't that what we want for these books that are so important to us? Also, you're like, I'm not Dr. Baker. I'm DJ Easy Bake. Like, yeah. I'm Easy Bake. Or even people call me Dr. E. And I'm like, that's that's close. Fine. (laughs) Yep. Fine. Good enough. Right. But then and I love that we're talking about about League of Their Own, too, in that I think it goes for any sports movie, any sports movie ever uh, that the team is losing and having a terrible time and they choose joy. They choose joy as a team. And then the Mighty Ducks come and kick all the ass. Love the Mighty Ducks. Right? Like, there's always that idea of, like, we are a motley crew of nothings, but damn it, mm-hmm. we're going to choose joy. And that's how the Sandlot happens. And that's how Mighty Duck happens, is is they are athletes choosing joy. And we can see the, the, the Olympics, too, which is why I was so glad when Simone Biles backed down this year, because she was like, I'm not having any joy. Yeah. No joy. And what she in her, knew in her sport in particular is, Without joy, there is danger. Yes. Without joy, I could break my neck and die. Yeah. Oof. And I think in a a very much lesser scale, because nobody's life is at stake necessarily in business, but I think without joy in business, we are also in danger. Oh, Oh, what a gorgeous, gorgeous button to put on this incredibly packed interview. I got... Two more questions for you. And then I'm really just going to go lay down because my brain is so blown. And then you also brought up Mary Stuart Masterson. I'm having some feels right now. All right. All right. Hold on. I got two more questions. The first question for you is your next book, Joyful AF2, Electric Boogaloo. Uh, you and you, you get your wife, you go on a tour bus. We're all on a tour bus. And we are not singing batter up. Hear that call. The time has come for one and all. We're not. We're not. We can sing that after. But my question for you is the team of all of us on your bus promoting book two need a rallying song to sing on the bus. What song are we singing? Mm, Right now, I don't know why this came. But we're doing Lady Gaga applause. Oh, yes. Stillwell Angels running up the aisle with his little pinwheels. And we're all going, applause, 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 applause. applause. Do it for the applause, applause. Do it for the applause, applause. that down the highway. I mean, we'll wind up looking like Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, but I'm still in. It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm in too. I'll put on my Gaga wig. I may not put on a meat suit, but uh, I will put on the Gaga wig. Um... 
now you have to go on tour. <laughs> and before yes. you go on tour and before you have book two, tell our listeners how they can get a hold of you, how they can start a conversation with you, how they can work with you on their joy and where they can find a copy of that magnificent book. Yeah, well, let's start with this magnificent book. And I don't think I've said the full title yet. So it's Joyful AF, The Essential Business Strategy We're Afraid to Put First. And <sighs> right, like when I found that subtitle, I just went, ooh, that full body joy. So that is available on Amazon. You can get it hard copy or Kindle. Um, I personally like hard copy books and it's beautiful. Oh, yeah. I, I spent a lot of time designing it. There's a bow tie on the front. I mean, like, I mean, how is that not joy? On. That's joy. So yeah, go check out Joyful AF on Amazon. You can also find me on my website. It's erinmbaker.com. Turns out when I married somebody and took her last name, I became a common person yeah. on the internet. So oh, I please became don't a forget common the M. person in my family. I married into a family of an another Annie, an Andy, and an Anna. So uh, the Annie P in me honors the Aaron M in you because damn, it's tough. <laughs> Damn, it's tough. So yeah, Aaron M. Baker. And I do still find joy on Instagram. I'm not there as much as the Instagram influencers of the world, but I am there multiple times a week. And it's Dr. Aaron M. Baker. Got to get that doctor in there because that was joy earned, it. damn it. Come on. It was. It took me a long <sighs> time to add that to my title because a lot of people have assumptions about what a PhD is like. And at some point I went, oh, I want to make sure I break down those assumptions. I think it just makes you a wizard. <laughs> Something like that. I, I think that's just basically it. It's just you're just operating with a wizard license now. But, you know, wizard. Just call me, just call me Gandalf. There you go. There you go. Right. There's another chapter about Gandalf. And, oh, uh, my God, I'm a Pippin. All right. And already I'm like, I got to introduce <laughs> you to this person and this person and this person and this person. You're going to know. All right. Y'all. Yep. I'm going to cut this interview off so that Aaron and I don't talk for the rest of time because I want to, but I will be back in just a second with my final thought and your homework for the week. Dr. Aaron M. Baker, thank you so much for all the joy you have brought me and our listeners today. Well, hey there. What a freaking exuberant episode. I am grinning from ear to ear, basking in Aaron's brilliance, and I hope you are too. But entrepreneurship, like life, tends to fall apart when it stays one flavor for too long. So time to throw some salty in with all this sweet. Like Aaron said, it is so easy to lose the joy in your business. But right now, I want to direct your attention back to your prospects. If you've stepped into your role as a professional problem solver, then you know your prospects are in pain, physical, emotional, financial, relational, spiritual, maybe multiple forms of pain swirling together into some nasty pain softball. That's going to leave a mark when it hits home. So while I was tempted and you're still wildly encouraged to show up in full joy this week, especially if your joy is an act of resistance, instead, your official homework is to look at the way you address or rather don't address the very real hardships facing your future clients and evangelists. If we come at pain points full bore, we look cold, unfeeling, or insensitive. This could even feel like that pickup artist guy from back in like 2005 who told everybody to be mean in order to get laid. On the flip side, if we paint sunshine and rainbows all over our websites and pretend it's all good and gravy in our buyers' brains and hearts, well, it would be if only they come over to our side of the fence, we come off as insensitive at best and toxically positive, tone deaf, or cruel at worst. The best choice is to step into the role that they need you to fill coach, mentor, older sibling, bitchy best friend, strict professor, treasured advisor, whatever. And then approach the pain point directly in that tone and the style of that role. If you get stuck, remember, many of us are just a few steps ahead of our client on our learning curves. How would you have wanted that info delivered? How would you want those topics approached? What kind of tough or gentle or eye-opening love would have removed resistance in you? What kind of shove or promise would help hope outrank fear? I can't wait to hear what you come up with. It will bring me so much joy. Hey, thanks for listening. If this episode kept you laughing and learning, 
I have two requests for you. First, make sure you hit that subscribe or follow button, depending on your platform, so you never miss an episode. And also, more importantly, if you are looking for support, inspiration, networking, collaborations, or just a chance to hang out with me, Annie P. Ruggles, and our fantastic guests, make sure that you are a member of our LinkedIn community, The Legitimati. It is a weird and wonderful place. I can't even believe it's on LinkedIn, and we want you there. You'll find the link in the show notes. Big shout out, as always, to the fabulous dudes who helped me make this show. My producer and editor, Andrew Sims of Hypable Impact. My theme composer, Riley Horbasio, And my show art creator, Francois Vigneault. See you next time. <laughs>